Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and today we are in Psalm 90. What an amazing chapter of the Bible. We're going we're gonna to go through it verse by verse today. I am calling this sermon 100 Years From Now. Why am I calling it this? Because, friends, the things that we worry about, the things that we stress over, our bills, things like debt, things like grudges that we don't let go of, bitterness that we hold on to, so many things in this life, they are not going to matter 100 years from now. The Bible teaches us what does matter. And we're going to look at that today on this episode of Awakened to Grace. Let's go to Psalm chapter 90 today. I'm so excited to share with you out of this psalm, only 17 verses but what mighty verses they are. And I have many things for you to take notes today if you are a note taker. If you miss some things, don't worry about it. Go back online. Get it later. Psalm chapter 90. And uh, I want to call today 100 years from now. 100 years from from now, how old will you be a hundred years from today? <laughs> I hear some, ooh. <laughs> My thought today is 100 years from now. August 28, 21, 22. If you're going to take notes, please note this. This psalm is one of the most intriguing to me of all the Psalms. Why? Because it is a Psalm of Moses. It is the only Psalm in the book of Psalms written by Moses. This is a prayer of Moses. And you know, if anyone I think is worthy of study, worthy of modeling our life after, it is Moses. I've been so intrigued all week with Moses because I've always been intrigued with him, but particularly this week because, you know, it was Moses that wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Do you know that it was Moses who God counted as such a close friend that God actually spoke to Moses face to face as a friend? Do you remember he saw God's glory on Mount Sinai? And the glory of God shone on him so much he had to wear a veil. Do you remember he would go to the tent of meeting and meet with the Lord to get direction? Wow. Moses had a remarkable relationship with God. He truly was God's man. And God revealed the entire creation account to Moses. My daughter who was baptized today, Piper, she's in the sixth grade. She asked me to help her with her homework this week, and it's Christian curriculum, and it was on the creation account versus evolution. And they made a point that I had never personally thought of, and they were talking about cavemen and grunting and not having the ability to communicate, and they were talking in the curriculum, what a slap in the face that is to God the Creator 
who created Adam and Eve with the ability to think and to speak and to make choices. What an insult to God Almighty, the Creator. And you know, I was telling Piper while we were doing the homework, I was telling Piper, you know, Evolutionists, they laugh at Christians because we take by faith God's word. And we take by faith God as creator of all things. But don't ever let a secular evolutionist laugh at your faith. Because you know what? It takes just as much faith to believe in evolution. Just as much, if not more, in my opinion. And they'll say, oh, but there are many proofs and we have, we have all of this evidence and what it is, it's all circular reasoning. A good evolutionist will say, well, it's a fossil. Well, what makes it a fossil? It's millions of years old. Well, what makes it millions of years old? It's a fossil. But what makes it a fossil? It's millions of years old. But what makes it that? It's It's chasing your tail. It takes more faith to believe in random, by chance, than to believe in an almighty God who is an intelligent designer. More faith. And I told Piper, don't ever let anyone, anyone laugh at your faith. Amen. I want to know what Moses thinks because it's Moses who gave us the creation account. Moses was the original creationist. And I believe God showed it to him. Depend for all of humanity, for all of time. And let me tell you Satan's playbook. Do you know why he wants your children to believe in evolution? Do you know why he has targeted this generation and so ingrained evolution into our schools? Because if this generation does not see God as the judge, as the creator. They'll never see him as the judge. Why will you give accountability over your life if God's not even our creator? Do you see what a lie from the pit of hell that it is? So Moses gave us the original creation account. Moses is the one who tells us about the Garden of Eden. Moses is the one who tells us about Adam and Eve. He tells us about the period of creation. It's fascinating. I want to know what he has to say more. You know, I want to do a series one day on Genesis because what a history book it is. And I want to do a a series one day. I want to start it out with the title, Can You Believe That? Can you believe it? With a question mark. Really, can can you believe the Tower of Babel? Can you believe Noah's Ark and the flood? Can you believe these things? But I want to end it with the same statement, only with an exclamation point. Can you believe it? Because it's the history of redemption, amen? It's God's history, not ours to tamper with, not ours to think up in our own imagination. It's God's history. So right off the bat, it tells us, verse number one, this is a prayer of Moses, a man of God. I don't know about you, that just, puts a, that just puts a chill down me. He was a man of God. And let me, who, let me tell you who I want to learn from. I want to learn from this man of God. Now, what does he say? 
Verse number one, this is a prayer of Moses, a man of God. And he says, he prays, he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in every generation. Now, before we go further, I want you to note this. He's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our dwelling place. If you are sensitive to the psalm throughout, I believe verses 6 and 7, and I believe verse 11, you will note the wrath of God through this psalm. Why does Moses constantly note the wrath of God? You know why? Because Jesus Christ, our dwelling place, was the propitiation for sin. He had the wrath of God poured out on him. And like a sponge, he absorbed the wrath of God, the penalty of our sin. He absorbed it on the cross. He took our wrath. And now he is indeed our dwelling place. See, this is why Jesus said, take note of this. John chapter 5, verse 46. Jesus said, had you believed Moses, then you would believe in me. For Moses wrote about me. He is our dwelling place from generation to generation. Why? Because according to Hebrews, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Ever. He is eternity past. He is eternity present. And thank God he is eternity future. He ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. Amen. Amen. This is about Jesus. Verse number two. The original creationist Moses is going to tell us. Before the mountains were made. Before the earth and the world was formed. You were everlasting to everlasting God. Oh, I love that. Friends, what that means is that God is indeed the creator. And St. Augustine made a very interesting observation here centuries ago. St. Augustine said, note, he is not God from age to age. Implying that God was and God will be. No. He is everlasting to everlasting, which simply means God is. And he always has been and he always will be. God is from eternity past to eternity future. There is no beginning and there is no ending. That's why he's Alpha and Omega. Amen. He is everlasting to everlasting. What fascinating thoughts. And Moses, who gave us the creation account, oh, he's going to teach us so much in this psalm about God. Now, I want you to note this. There, in this psalm, what, what I want you first to draw from, we're going to see the biblical view of God and the biblical view of humanity. As soon as he says, God is from everlasting to everlasting. As soon as he teaches that God is the creator before the mountains, before the earth itself were formed, God created all things. God existed in eternity past. Now he's going to put us, humanity, in the right perspective. And look at verse 3. What does he do? He returns man to the dust. You know what Moses is saying? We have a clear beginning. We have a clear ending. But God is everlasting to everlasting. Do you see the difference? Verse number four, he's going to shift back to our eternal view of the sovereignty of God. And what does he say? Verse number four, 
A thousand years in your sight is as one day that's past. Or a watch in the night. Now, is that not an extraordinary thought? God is outside of time and he does not live in time the way you and I do. No, he is the creator of time and he lives outside of it. He exists outside of it. And 1,000 years to the Lord is just like last night. How fascinating. Is it no wonder, could this be where Peter got 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8? Do not overlook this fact, beloved, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Could that be where Peter learned this? You know where else I think Peter may have learned it? Do you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you remember who appeared to the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. And according to the Gospels, they talked about eschatology, end times things. And I wonder if Peter didn't learn from Moses himself. One day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Isn't that fascinating? What is Moses doing in this great prayer in Psalm 90? He is giving us an extremely clear view of God and an extremely clear view of humanity. Now what is he going to say in verse 5? When it comes to humanity, what are we like? We're like a flood. We're swept away. We're like a dream. It doesn't last long. We're like blades of grass. Verse 6, it will flourish in the morning time, but it will wither and fade by the evening time. In other words, we don't last. In other words, we are not sovereign. In other words, we are not God. Although many people act like it today, right or wrong. How interesting. Verse number 8, he goes on to distinguish the difference between God and man. And verse number 8, notice what it says, that all of our secret sins, they are exposed in the presence of God's light. Right now, you're holding on to secret sin. Don't you think for a moment God doesn't know it? Your spouse may not know it. Your co-workers may not know it. Your pastor may not know it. You may have your phone so locked down that no one can access your phone. But let me tell you, your secret sins will be exposed in the light of God's presence. He knows all about it. You are not God. You are but dust. You're not God. You're but a dream. You're like a flood. You're like a blade of grass that is here today and it will be gone tomorrow. James says we're like a mist. We're like a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. What is the point, Chad? The point, C.S. Lewis really got it right when he said back in the 40s, he got it right when he said ancient man had a different view of God than today's modern man. In the ancient times, it was God who was on the judge's bench. And it was humanity that was down in the dock. But modern humanity has reversed the role. It is now man on the judge's bench. And it is God down in the dock. Well, let me assure you, my friend, that doesn't hold up to Scripture, does it? 
That may be the world's view. That may be the secular view. That even might be your view. But it's not truth today. God is still on the bench. He is still everlasting to everlasting. And you and I are a blade of grass. You and I are a dream. You and I are swept away like a flood. You and I will return back to the dust. We are not God. So where's the good news, Chad? Verse number 10. Man lives to 70 years, if by some reason of strength, 80 years. And even in those handful of decades, that is the lifespan of us and that brevity of life. See, that's what verses 3 through 11 really is all about. It's about the brevity of life. Verse 2 is about the eternity of God, the eternal nature of God, everlasting to everlasting. Verses 3 to 11 is about the brevity of humanity. And Moses says... That our lifespan may be 70 years, if by reason of strength, 80 years. But those handful of decades are filled with trial and trouble. Toil and trouble. So what's the good news, Chad? Well, the good news comes in verse number 12. I love this verse. This verse really became real to me several weeks ago. Sadie was going to take the kids somewhere, like to a, a big water park or something like that. And Hudson, my five-year-old, he was so excited. And we were like a week away from doing it, whatever. And he started counting down his days. And that little five-year-old, we'd get in the car every morning and he would go, Mom, is it five days now? the next day, Mom, is it four days now? Mom, is it three days now? And by about the second day, you know, I'd be amused because he would get turned around a little bit. And, you know, he, but he's learning to count them. And the Holy Spirit really spoke to my heart. And the Lord said, Chad, you would be wise to number your days too. You got a lot to learn with Hudson. Learn how to number your days. Why? Okay, follow my thinking, all right? Let's pick apart verse number 12. Notice, first off, it says, so, I love that word, so. In other words, here's the conclusion. Here's what he's building up to. Here's the purpose for verses 1 through 11. Here is the conclusion. So, teach us. Just stop right there. You ought to circle that whole phrase. Here is Moses, who the Bible calls the meekest man who ever lived. And what is Moses saying? Moses is showing such a heart of humility that he says, God, teach me. Can you follow his logic? Can you follow his pattern of thinking? God, if I am but a flood swept away, if I'm going to return to dust, God, if all I am is a dream, if I'm a blade of grass, I'm here today, I'm gone tomorrow, then God, I want you who is eternal. I want you who is from everlasting to everlasting. Teach me, God, how to live. Don't let me live in my own wisdom, in my own understanding, in my own thinking. Don't let me live in my sin. Don't let me live in my foolish choices. Teach me, God, how to live. Whew. 
Teach us, Lord. Can you hear the humility in that? Oh, let me ask you something. Are you someone that you know it all? Are you someone you always have the answer? Are you someone you're always the smartest person in the room? Are you someone that no one can tell you? Because you already know. That's arrogance. That's the height of man's pride. No, you should be like Moses and humble yourself down and say, Lord, teach me. Can we say amen? amen. Teach me, Lord. I don't want to be Mark Twain one time famously said. <laughs> he said at age 14, I couldn't believe how dumb my father was. By the time I turned 21, I found out my father knew everything. And he said, I can't believe how much the man learned in seven years. <laughs> Are you teachable? Can the Holy Spirit teach you? Can the Holy Spirit instruct you? You know, before we studied in detail the seven churches of Revelation, I would read those passages where Jesus would rebuke the church. And in my humanity, in my frailty, in my immaturity, I would read that and I would think, Jesus, could you not give your church a break? They're doing the best they could. They lived in pagan lands. They suffered persecution. They didn't have the Christian bookstores. And they didn't have oodles of copies of God's word. Most congregations probably did good even if they had a page of the word. Could you not have cut them some slack? And as the Lord matured my faith and as the Lord matured me, now I join and I say, oh God, give me all of your encouragement, but also, Lord, give me all of your correction. Give me all of your rebuke. Give me all of your reproofs. Show me, God. Teach me. You get a heart that says, teach me. And you're on the path to spiritual maturity. Teach me to what? To number my days. You know what I find interesting in the Bible? I find it interesting that overall, the Bible does not teach us to measure our life by years. You really don't see the Bible teaching birthday celebrations or anniversary celebrations. Not to say those things are wrong. They're not. But here's what I think Scripture would correct us in. I am concerned that in our culture, because we measure by the year. You know what I think many times happens to our culture? The years slip through our fingers. We get bitter at somebody. We don't forgive someone and two years turns into five. Five into seven. And all of a sudden, it's been a decade that you've held on to bitterness. And years have slipped right through your fingers. You get callous toward the Lord. You get apathetic. You get lazy on the Lord. And all of a sudden, 
two, three months of missing church turns into half a year, which turns into two years, which turns into five years. And before you know it, you're completely out of church and away from the Lord. Why? Because time slipped through your fingers. How many of us know the older we get, the faster the years go? So how do you prevent years from slipping through your fingers? Here's the biblical answer. Number your days. Begin to pay attention to every day. Begin to understand that for every one of us, God has given us these little windows called 24 hours. And you know what's amazing to me? You think of the most important people on the earth today. You think of the movers and shakers. You think of the influencers. You think of everyone that is the most important individuals living on the earth today. And guess what? They have the same 24 hours today that you and I have. Across the board, God has given the exact amount. What are you going to do with yours? We have to learn how to count our days. Number the days, not the years. And when you do that, what happens? Then decades don't begin to slip through your fingers. The Bible teaches to number your days, not your years. Now, what's the result? If I'm going to come to the Lord with a heart of humility, and I'm going to say, Lord, teach me. Then he's going to teach me to pay attention to every day. He's going to teach me to make every day count for the glory of God. I'm not going to waste time. Time's not going to slip through my fingers. And I'm going to have a grasp on my life. And then what's going to be the result? That you would get a heart of wisdom. Now, let me ask you a question. What is wisdom? How would you define wisdom? See, in our culture, especially with our devices, especially with our technology, especially with what the internet has done, knowledge is everywhere. Is this not the age of knowledge? Everyone has knowledge. Everyone has access to knowledge. But knowledge is not wisdom. Wisdom is when you know how to apply knowledge. That's wisdom. And you know what the good gospel news is? God loves wisdom so much so that in James chapter 1, verse 5, God says, if anyone lacks in wisdom, let him ask of God, and he'll give it generously. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank God he doesn't ask me what my IQ is. He doesn't ask me how smart I am. He doesn't ask me how well I analyze situations. No. He says, Chad, you want wisdom? I'll give it to you generously because it's a gift from heaven. He wants you to live as a wise person. He wants you to live in wisdom. He wants you to enjoy your days on the earth. He wants you to be blessed in the days you have on the earth. And how do you obtain those blessings? I'll tell you the biblical way you obtain it. With wisdom. And where does wisdom come from? When we humble ourselves to God, who generously gives wisdom to anyone who lacks, James 1.5. When you're a humble enough person that God can bless you with wisdom, you'll apply it in the numbering of your days, and you'll get a heart that's full of wisdom. Can we say amen? What would your decisions look like right now? The decisions you have to make. 
What would they look like if you applied God's wisdom to it? Not your own wisdom. Not your parents' wisdom. Not your friends' wisdom. God's wisdom. How would your choices change if you had a heart of wisdom? How would you get clarity? You can raise your hand if you want, but I can't see you because I'm blind. But how many of you right now, you're in a place of confusion. You don't know what to do. You don't know what the right answer is. You don't know what the right choice is. You're not sure what to choose. And it's got you just bound up and you're just knotted up like a pretzel. You don't know what to do. What would happen if you had a heart of wisdom? You would know what to do. Why? Because God would show you. Humble yourself. Say, Lord, teach me. I'm but dust, Lord. I'm a blade of grass, Lord. I'm here today and gone tomorrow. I'm but a dream. I'm like a flood being swept away. My secret sin is exposed in the light of your presence. God, I need you. Because you're everlasting to everlasting. Teach me how to live. Do you see the difference? I don't know about you, but I think Moses had it right. Verse number 14. This is my favorite part of the psalm. Verse number 14 teaches, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Boy, I quote this verse so many mornings. I'll rise early. I always say, Don't face your day until you've been face to face with the Lord. I'll rise early to meet with God. And I'll quote this psalm. I'll say, Lord, satisfy me with your love, with your steadfast love early in the mornings. My mornings are very special to me because I meet with the Lord. Are you satisfied with God? There was a season in my life around 2007, probably really from 06 to the end of 07, maybe 08. There was a season in my life where Satan fed me a lie, and I believed it. I believed it. I was single. I was trying to do this church, which was very heavy plowing. We didn't have many people at all. I was trying to run a business. I was traveling all over the world doing missions. I would do a mission trip and barely get it all paid for by the skin of my teeth and have all kinds of bills waiting for me when I got home and not knowing how I was going to keep my head out from underwater. And I'd already start planning the next trip on the plane ride home. And one day, I'll never forget it, I was coming home from Vietnam. I smuggled Bibles to pastors in Vietnam that year. And I'll never forget it. I was exhausted. How many of you know what it is to be exhausted uh, Exhausted mentally? How many of you have ever been exhausted emotionally? Exhausted spiritually. That's where I was. 
Satan sat right in the seat beside me, so it seemed. And here's what he told me. He said, God's angry at you. I was tired and exhausted enough that I listened. He said, God's angry at you because you're never satisfied. You go from one project to the next project. You go from one trip to the next trip. Here you've had a successful trip and you're not satisfied you're planning the next one. You're never happy. You're never content. And you've angered God. And he told me the worst lie he's ever told me. He said, you better stop praying. Because the only thing you ever do is ask God for things. And he's mad about it. It put me in a dark season. I believed it. Because I didn't feel content. I knew in my heart I didn't feel satisfied. I knew in my heart something was wrong. And I believed it. I remember it went months. And I was struggling hard. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget when God broke through that lie of the enemy. And I remember God telling me, I remember God saying, Chad, you don't know how many people never pray to me. They never talk to me. They use my name in vain over everything that's wrong in their life. And God said, Chad, I love it when you ask me for things. I love it when you put your faith to the test. God said, you talk to me anytime about everything and ask me about anything you desire. Because I love it when you talk to me. And he broke through that lie of the enemy. Amen? And you know how I climbed out of that valley of despair? Do you know how I climbed out of that dark hole? Anybody ever heard this song? Fill my cup, Lord. Do you know that one? I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul, bread of heaven, feed me till I won't no more. Here's my cup, fill it up and make me whole. And I would lift my cup to the Lord. And I would say, Lord, only you can satisfy. Have you ever been super thirsty? And you drank something other than water? And you stayed thirsty? What's the glory of water? It quenches. What's the glory of bread? It satisfies. And do you know what God will do in your life? He'll quench every thirst. He'll satisfy every longing. He's the water of life. He's the bread of life. Amen. And substituting him for anything else in life is like being in a desert and drinking water, but not knowing all it is is sand. And it leaves you more thirsty. Many of you listening today, you're chasing after mirages. And what you think is water is in reality sand. What will God satisfy you with? His love. Jeremiah says that He's loved us with an 
everlasting love. Amen. Do you have that love today? Are you being satisfied? What's he say? What's the verse say? From the morning. In the morning, satisfy us with your steadfast love. Let me tell you, my friend, you can do nothing to make God love you more, and you can do nothing to make God love you less. God loves you, period. Be satisfied in him. And what's he say? When we're satisfied in God, he makes all of our days glad. A hundred years from now, August 28, 21, 22. 100 years from today, let me ask you, what is not going to matter? The bills you're facing, the debt you're under, the pressures you face, the stress you feel, the grudges that you won't let go of. Those things will not matter 100 years from today. Why are you letting it affect today. My friend Joe Heron asked me a question this week. We were talking about this while enjoying lunch together. And Joe asked me such an intriguing question. He said, Chad, what were you struggling with and what were you praying about seven months and ten days ago? Uh, You got me, Joe. I don't know. Seven months, ten days. I've slept a lot of nights since then. I have no idea. And you know what he said? He said, then why are you going to be worried seven months and ten days from now? It's not going to matter either. God's going to take care of that seven months and ten days from today, just like he took care of seven months and ten days past. Why? He's everlasting to everlasting. You know it's God's will for you to enjoy your days. You know, it's God's will for you to be glad. That don't mean everything's a rose garden. My little boy, Hudson, I told you he's five. He sat on my lap yesterday and he was telling me some Bible stories he knows. And it was so cute. We're talking about Jesus healing blind Bartimaeus. He can't say Bartimaeus real good. You should ask him to say it. It's really cute. (laughs) And he said, Daddy, why don't God... Heal your eyes. Why don't he not make you blind? Isn't that a great question from a five-year-old? And you know what the answer is? The answer is, Lord, teach us to number our days that we'll have a heart of wisdom. That in you, our hearts will be satisfied. I may face blindness, but let me tell you, I have the gladness of God all over my life. I enjoy every single day. I squeeze out of the day all the joy I can squeeze out of it. Why? Because it's God's will that even though I walk through the fiery trial, even though I face the refiner's fire, even though I walk through the valleys, it is God's will that I be glad. Count it all. What? Joy. Amen. And it's God's will that you be glad as well. It's God's will that you be joyful. Now, will God make you happy? Oh, beware. Happiness depends on the way things happen in your life. God's not interested in happiness. He's interested in joy. 
Joy transcends happiness. The circumstances of my life can yo-yo up and down and up and down. And that doesn't matter. That don't affect my joy. My joy is consistent. Because you know what my joy is based on? God's everlasting love. Trials don't change those things. Sorrow doesn't change those things. Loneliness doesn't change those things. Heartache doesn't change those things. Those things are consistent. Amen. Verses 16 and 17, and this is where I close. What's the result of a life and a heart of wisdom? Well, this is quite beautiful. He says, verse 16, show your works to your servant. That reminds me of Psalm 103. The Bible says Israel knew the acts of God, but Moses knew the ways of God. In other words, Israel saw what God was doing, but Moses understood why God was doing it. See, that's what I want to do in the trials of my life. I not only want to know what God's doing, I want to know the why behind it. That's a heart of wisdom. Show your works to your servants, your glorious power to their children. Isn't that your heart for your children, for your grandchildren, for your great-grandchildren? Oh, Moses had it. Oh. In verse 17, <laughs> let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the works of our hands. Friends, that's a life. That's a heart of wisdom. You know what I think Moses is saying? I think he's saying live for eternity. It was said of Jonathan Edwards that he lived every day of his life in view of eternity. They even said he had eternity stamped on his eyeball because he saw everything in light of eternity. Let the favor of the Lord God be upon us and establish the works of our hands. In other words, make your life count for eternity. Make your work count for eternity. Make your parenting count for eternity. Make your marriage count for eternity. Make everything you do. Paul said it like this. Whether we eat, whether we drink, or whatsoever things we do, do it all to the glory of God. Amen. Are you living for eternity today? Psalm 90 helps us take the 30,000 foot view of our life. Sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. And you get all caught up in all this pressure. You get caught up in all this strife. You get caught up in all these arguments. You get caught up in all of the noise. And Psalm 90 gives us the 30,000 foot view. It says, no. Be humble. Be teachable. Learn to number your days. Why? That you would gain a heart of wisdom. And what will that heart of wisdom produce? It will bring a contentment into your life that it will satisfy you all the days of your life and all your days will be filled with God's gladness. Oh, I don't know about you, but I want that. Amen. Give me that. Give me the gladness of God. Give me the satisfaction of His steadfast love. Fill me, God. Here's my cup. Fill it up and make me.
If you enjoy the daily broadcast of Awaken to Grace, then I want to invite you to subscribe to our podcast. You can get our podcast wherever you get your favorite shows. Simply search Awaken to Grace Weekly Sermons.